let's get ready to study God's Word. Welcome to another episode of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew S. Baker, and it's time to review another Sabbath School lesson. Please be sure to visit us at biblestudy.aspzone.com, where you can find a link to the current lesson study guide, additional Bible study resources, and all our previous episodes. Before we begin our study, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your goodness and your love to us. We thank you for these lessons. We invite your presence to be with us, that you will give us understanding as we study from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Lesson number 10 is entitled, The Fires of Hell. And the verse that we have to deal with is 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. We're continuing our discussions of death, dying, and the blessed hope this quarter, which we're almost to the end. And the topic is the fires of hell. Now, I've done a couple of podcasts about the soul and death and and um, eternal life. And I'm going to link those in this podcast. This lesson may be short. We'll see. This lesson may be short. Uh, The reason is this week we're going to tackle a number of topics that are about the state of the dead. And there they reflect the position of other Christian denominations as it pertains to the state of the dead. And to some extent, they even show how those things came to be, how they came to understand them. We are going to touch some verses here, but I'm going to encourage you, in addition to what we're covering here, I encourage you to look at the other podcasts because I go into those specific areas in more depth. The other thing I'll point out, I haven't really spoken about it in the lessons that we've done, but the inside story, right? The inside story for this week is actually really nice. I mean, most of them are. I like the stories. And when I say most, I mean the vast majority of the inside stories are nice. I've always liked the stories that we've had in the guide magazine and in and in the lesson quarterly, but it's especially pertinent here because it's talking about traditions that people hold on to even after they accept Christianity. And this discussion is very important because I think we take it for granted that when someone hears a message or a series of messages or a campaign of messages and goes through a Bible study course that, and then they, they make their acceptance, 
right? They accept Christ and decide to be baptized. I think we take it for granted that they know everything, that they know enough of the basics that they won't have any problems. And I have to say that on a whole, a lot of the instruction that we provide pertaining to the Christian path is theoretical and not practical. And I'm not suggesting that the gospel is not practical. I'm suggesting that we teach people things in a way that's not practical. Some of the things that we emphasize in our teaching and preaching, we don't give people an opportunity to apply it practically, right? And let's take, for instance, the prophetic timelines. The prophetic timelines are very important because they help establish that God knew what was happening and that he planned for it and that his people were made aware and therefore prepared to do things. And we emphasize that. We show that God knew and it was all planned out. But we don't take that to the next level and show why people should believe a God like that in real time. Because he didn't just do that before. He's doing it now. So the challenge is, when we present the gospel to people, we need to present it not just as some facts and figures to be memorized, but we need to present it as, here are the implications of the gospel. When you accept the gospel, when you understand the gospel, there are things that you are going to be asked to do, to accomplish. In the power of God, of course, but things to accomplish nonetheless. It's important that we do that, right? That we make this real. And it's important that we have respect for people whose grasp on tradition is so tight that when they run into one of these scenarios, they default to their traditional spot and it's hard to get them out of that, okay? We are not, um, we are not, I don't want to say accommodating. That's not what I want to say. We are not merciful enough to people who have those kinds of struggles. And we fail to realize that within Seventh-day Adventism, there are a tremendous number of traditions. There are things that we do simply because someone before us did them. And we haven't evaluated whether those things are actually scriptural. We've taken it for granted that it is. So let's not pretend that other people um, are deficient in that area and we're fine. In fact, I would say that in many cases, the stubbornness of members of our church only works because they happen to be correct in the doctrinal area in which they're stubborn. But there are a lot of us who don't know what we should know in terms of what we believe and we can't prove it, but we believe it because we've accepted it and held it. And that's not good either. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Okay. So wanted to cover those in the introduction. They talk about Dante, who was an Italian poet from 1265 to 1321. And he wrote poetry that uh, has become so prevalent today, or at least I wouldn't say the whole poetry is, is prevalent, 
But on account of Dante and his poem, there are many people who speak of in common societal discussions Dante's levels of hell. Right? So here we have someone whose work influenced the church. And the folks in the church came to an understanding that they accepted based on this poet, poet and the poem. Instead of influencing the world, the church has taken direction from the world. Let's go to Sunday's lesson, Immortal Worms. They ask us to look at a couple of verses in Sunday's lesson. Let's, let's take a peek. In Mark 9, 42 through 48, um, the verse that that is interesting is verse 44. Actually, Jesus says it three times, 44, 46, and 48. It talks about hell. So let's look at verse 43 and 44. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Listen to that carefully. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And he goes on to say that. Before. So a number of times he says, it's better to lose a body part than it is to miss heaven. Okay? And we really should pay attention to the fact that no one is going to get into heaven lame or maimed or blind. So Jesus is making a figurative reference. That's the first point. He's not saying it's better to get into heaven literally maimed than to be in hell with full faculties. Right? On some level, that's being said. But it's clearly the fact that no one was going to get into heaven in a damaged, injured condition indicates to us that it's a figurative um, discussion where he's saying our priority should be the one so that if you can recognize that losing a limb, losing your eye is undesirable, but Jesus is saying it's better that that be the case than that you go into hell full-bodied you realize the emphasis that he's trying to present. And it talks about where their worm dieth not. Worm dieth not. So let's look at Isaiah 66, 24. And they shall go forth, talking about the redeemed, and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. That's the wicked. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. Okay? Talking about the wicked when they perish after the, the millennium. Right? After the millennium. Because we're not going to get to walk around and look at this at this time of the second coming. The time of the second coming, we're caught up to meet him. But here, the idea that we're going to look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, the fire of God is going to fall upon them and it's going to continue burning until everything that it wants to burn or needs to burn is burnt up. Okay? 
no one can put the fire out. You could bring as much water as you want. You are not going to be able to change the nature of that fire. You're not going to be able to stop the fire. But when all of the fuel that the fire is working with goes away, well, there we are. Okay, there we are. Now, there's something that we should understand. In the Bible, certain words are contextual. All. It's a contextual word. It means what you think it does, but you need to look around to make sure that the Bible doesn't also mention some exemptions. Okay? Eternal. When eternity is mentioned or described, you have to look around and determine, is this referring to man or is it referring to God? If the discussion at the time of the use of the word eternity or eternal, if that discussion pertains to man, then it always extends to the life of the man. Similarly, if the word eternal, everlasting, is used in conjunction with God, it extends to the life of God, which means eternity. So we have to understand that those words are contextual. It's based on what else is being discussed, how you deal with those words. When it's pointing towards God, Eternal means exactly what you think it is. When it's pointing toward man, it means the life of the entity. Okay. The worm not dying, their worm, their decomposition, the means by which all bodies which lay upon the earth are finally disposed of. That represents that nothing is going to distract from that decomposition process. Nothing. The worm is not going to die. The fire will not be quenched. That's the most important point. Fire will not be quenched. Hellfire that comes down from God is not going to stop burning for any reason other than ran out of fuel. Right? Throwing water on it is not going to change anything. Putting sand, there's going to be no way to prevent that fire from being fire. But once it's burned up everything, that's going to be the end of it. Okay? Now, there are some people that think of the worm as the soul, this entity that uh, floats around when people die. But you can't. There are too many passages in the Bible that speak of death as a sleep and don't give any credence to a portion of ourselves floating off anywhere. In Monday's lesson, they give us a few of those verses, Mark 9, 48, Isaiah 66, 24. There's uh, Isaiah, well, Isaiah 66, 22 through 24. None of this refers to the soul, right? But people have come to understand it in this way. But the Bible is very efficient very precise 
in communicating the fact that the worm doesn't die and the fire can't be quenched. The end of Sunday's lesson, it says, in the end, we are totally saved or totally lost. There is no middle ground. We can have either eternal life or we'll face eternal destruction. What choices do you have to make today? And how should this reality, eternal life or eternal destruction, impact those choices? If we believe that eternal life is real, if we believe that the end is near, then we will make decisions that are in harmony with that thought process. Monday talks about the fires of hell. Now, we should be clear that hell has both a time and a place associated with it. The time is after the 1,000 years. The place is the surface of the earth surface of the earth because all the wicked will have surrounded the city and fire is going to come down and destroy them. Okay. Monday talks about the fact that many Christians, even some Protestants believe that those who are wicked will be tormented eternally, eternally. Okay. Definitely want to encourage you to look at our other podcast. And actually, we've done podcasts on true wisdom as well, along the same lines. The wicked perish. Burning forever is not perishing. Burning forever is the very situation that would cause you to desire to perish. The wicked will die. The lie has been told from early on in Genesis chapter 3, that we won't surely die. But we are going to die if we do not accept eternal life from Jesus Christ. Eternal fire, right? Sodom and Gomorrah suffered the vengeance of eternal fire, but they're burned up. They are not continuing to burn. That indicates that hellfire, even when it's described as eternal, does not mean burning without the possibility of putting it out because it's not on fire today. Not on fire today. In lesson here, they're going to emphasize that eternal is um, has several different meanings and it depends on who it's, it's uh, connected with. And I, I agree. It's the same thing I said earlier about it being somewhat contextual. Okay, But it's important for us to know what we believe and why we believe it. It's important for us to understand that eternal, when in conjunction with God, means God's entire life. When in conjunction with a man, it means that man's eternal life. And so when we see things that are going to be permanent, we need to look to see if it's tied directly to God or not. Tuesday talks about saints in purgatory. So purgatory is supposed to be this place where when you die, if you weren't good enough to get straight into heaven and you aren't bad enough to get into hell, there's purgatory. You get in there until you have a chance to do enough deeds so that you end up in 
in heaven, in paradise. The Bible doesn't support any of this, just does not support it. Um, the Catholic Church was the one that uh, caused this to enter into doctrines of Christianity on some level. But the Bible does not teach this. And it's sad that the church, the apostolic church, later apostatized. And this has been the source of many incorrect doctrines. This is the source of, many, of much confusion. And when the Protestant churches broke away and split away from the, um, from the Catholic Church, what we find is that they brought over a lot of the baggage. They didn't stop and think to themselves, we should evaluate everything that we believe. You know, we have a controversy with these folks in these specific areas, but maybe we should look at all of the doctrines and see if we agree with all of them. They did not, and uh, that has led to a lot of problems, a lot of problems. The living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Wisest man that ever lived. Dead know not anything. And since the dead know not anything, there's a lot. There are a lot of incorrect doctrines that would be thrown out if people understood what Solomon was saying in the dead know not anything. There's no purgatory. There's no place. The probation closes when you die. So there can be no place after death where you're not fully in something. You just can't. They ask here, what do errors like purgatory or eternal torment teach us about the importance of doctrine? Why is what we believe of importance and not just in whom we believe? Well, we can still get it wrong, even if we believe in Christ. We can still get it wrong. We can still uh, influence people poorly. We can adopt practices that are bad and a bad influence to ourselves or to a broader set of people. We can create problems with incorrect doctrine. Okay. Wednesday, a paradise with disembodied souls. Although Protestants don't accept purgatory, many, nevertheless, believe that the spirits or souls of the righteous dead are already enjoying paradise in the very presence of God. Well, there are lots of ways in which we can prove that that's incorrect. There's no point in a resurrection if people are already in heaven. There's no point in a resurrection. Okay? That needs to be understood. If folks are already in heaven... The resurrection is redundant. There are some more passages given to us. Acts 2, 29 and 34 and 35. 1 Corinthians 15, 16. 1 Corinthians post is so powerful. Paul goes into why, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you have to throw out all the other beliefs that you have. Because they're tied together. A lot of people don't want to think that their loved ones are just asleep. They want to think of them as having made it. It's comforting. 
1 Corinthians 15 is very powerful because Paul explains very clearly that if you don't believe in the resurrection, you're going to be in all sorts of problems, all sorts of error. And if you believe in the resurrection, then there are certain things that you, there are other things that you don't have to believe that you can throw out because you know that the resurrection means that people are still where they were until such time as God glorifies all of his people in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed. What are ways in which you could help people understand that the idea that the dead are asleep in the ground is really good news, in the sense that they're truly at rest and know no pain or suffering? Well, I'll just say you have to be very careful how you do that. Um, timing is going to be very important. Your relationship with the person is going to be very important. You have to be careful that you don't argue that point when someone is in the midst of grief, right? There, there are inappropriate times to have that discussion. Thursday's lesson, the biblical view. Now, I really wish they would have devoted more chapters to the biblical view, even though we touched on it. More days, rather, not chapters, to the biblical view even though we touched on it. But John, especially in all of his writings, in the epistles, in Revelation, and in the Gospel of John, John speaks about eternal life more than many of the other brethren. And he speaks about how we get it, who we get it from, etc. Immortality is God's. He's going to grant us immortality, at some point, but at the present, we are all very much mortal. Okay? Only God hath immortality. Eternal life is reserved for the righteous. That's what John 3.16 says. Eternal life is reserved for the righteous. Right? Let's just think about John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. Right? It's right there. Why does the apostle John limit eternal life only to those who are in Christ? Because it is only through Christ that we have eternal life. And there is no victory in disobedience. Okay? The biblical doctrine of conditional immortality of the human being, in contrast to the non-biblical theory of natural immortality of the soul, is made explicit in 1 John 5, 11 and 12. To grasp the meaning of this significant passage, we have to remember that only the Godhead has immortality and is the only source of life. Right? We have to bear in mind that eternal life is granted to us to deal with our fellow man, our neighbors, friends, Romans, and countrymen, as it were. But um, what's ultimately important is that we understand why we believe certain things. Okay? We have to be willing to understand. We need to be willing to study, to show ourselves approved unto God. And we want to have the ability 
to help our brothers and sisters understand what is right about the truth of the gospel. Okay? Let's read this quote in final thought from The Great Controversy, page 545. Upon the fundamental error of natural immortality rests the doctrine of consciousness in death, a doctrine like eternal torment opposed to the teachings of the scriptures, to the dictates of reason, and to our feelings of humanity. According to the popular belief, the redeemed in heaven are acquainted with all that takes place upon the earth, and especially with the lives of the friends whom they have left behind. But how could it be a source of happiness to the dead to know the troubles of the living, to witness the sins committed by their own loved ones, and to see them enduring all the sorrows, disappointments, and anguish of life? How much of heaven's bliss would be enjoyed by those who were hovering over their friends on earth? And how utterly revolting is the belief that as soon as the last breath leaves the body, the soul of the impenitent consigned to the flames of hell? To what depths of anguish must those be plunged who see their friends passing to the grave unprepared? to enter upon an eternity of woe and sin. Okay, they gave good verses this week, and I encourage you to look at the other verses that we have in the other podcasts on life and death, etc. It is important for us to be prepared, to help others, to be willing to show them, not just tell them. And on top of everything else, it's important for us to be gentle with people who are learning new things and need some time to come to grips with the things that they believed before, the things that they've learned before, and the implications of the new truth that they've accepted. Right? We need to stop pretending that people are going to assimilate a ton of doctrine that impacts every facet of their lives instantly. They may be committed to doing so, but the practical implications of going through that process needs to be understood. Right, Same concept as sanctification being the work of a lifetime. It's, it's something that's going to take time, and we have to be willing to give people time and space to wrestle with those things in prayer and to uh, come out on the right side of it in the end by God's grace. Question number two in the discussion questions, it says most Christian denominations are proclaiming the unbiblical theory of the natural immortality of the soul with all its correlated theories. What else should we do as a church to proclaim to the world the biblical view of death and the afterlife? It's a good question. I think that we're going to have to make sure our people are educated. That's the first point. Uh, secondly, when people have questions, open up to them because one day they will give you that question and you want to be prepared. We need to be educating people. That's what we need. That's what the church used to do. It needs to do it again. Okay? I want you to think about the lesson this week, especially 
listen to the other podcasts. They'll be linked. Um, they'll be linked right below. Let's go back to our memory verse. Very important. It says, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. First Thessalonians 5, 21. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your mercy and goodness and love to us. Thank you for paving a way where there is no way. Thank you for giving us uh, this light on the state of the dead. Thank you for these lessons to help us that we will rightfully reflect the understanding that is necessary for this work. We pray, Lord, that you will guide and direct us. We pray that you will help us to encourage others in the right way. Um, we just ask that you help us to be consistent in what we're learning. Help us to apply ourselves consistently. And Lord, when time shall be no more, please save us in your kingdom, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. You can email us at BibleQuestions at ASBZone.com. We look forward to hearing from you, whether you have questions, comments, suggestions, or concerns. Don't forget to check out the full description of this episode at BibleStudy.ASBZone.com to ensure that you can access the linked resources and any related podcast episodes. This podcast is available on all the major platforms, such as Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Music. Please remember us in your prayers. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study and share His Holy Word.